0: hi and welcome to the irwin mitchell podcast we're here to keep you up to date with legal news that matters to you i'm claire davitt i'm a senior associate in the real estate team and i'm part of the corporate occupier group here at irwin mitchell i'll be your host today as we discuss how esg is impacting the office market and to do so i'm delighted to be joined by experts in this field eamon fox head of yorkshire offices and development at Knight frank a leading independent real estate consultancy. Helen Shelabair, Managing Director at Shelwyn Real Estate, a family owned real estate investment and development company. They'll be providing their expertise and insight into the conversation. So welcome everyone and thanks for taking part in this. ESG or its full title, Environment, Social and Governance is a way of assessing the social impact of the business. And it's something that we're hearing more and more about. However, there isn't one single definition of what it is, and there is no set criteria for it all to be measured against. ESG is now an important factor in business, and we're going to look at how ESG is driving decisions in relation to the office market and how offices are used. I think one thing that we need to mention is that the E, the S and the G elements do overlap, and so we'll chat about them interchangeably. So... Getting started then, Eamon and Helen, what common themes are you seeing in the market now?
1: Okay. Okay, well I think we um if, if we use COVID as our benchmark and a sort of line in the sand, um if I take us back to December 2019 when we done an analysis locally and um, looking at the Yorkshire market and asked ourselves the question, what are occupiers doing when they relocate? Um, within city core and business park markets. Mm-hmm. Now that fired out two statistics: one that people downsized by twenty seven percent, um, but they upscaled their headline rent by twenty five percent. So pre COVID, people were buying less and buying better. And I think COVID then speeded up that journey for occupiers who hadn't challenged themselves in the past. The trend continued; people were downsizing, um. But to some degree, it got quite extreme because we were seeing occupiers downsize by as much as 50%. Mm -hmm. And I think sitting here three years later, later, the data firmly points towards a reversal of that position. Um, And whilst we are not going to get back to the levels we were at pre-pandemic, the cut in office space is nowhere near severe as it has been. So I think as occupiers we're working with and occupiers we're speaking to, we're seeing um, a trend Going in reverse, so basically taking more space, mm-hmm. um, and again to put some um, statistics around that, um, a recent survey we done, which was an international survey of six hundred and fifty um, corporate occupiers that we that we do work with day to day, and fifty five percent of those are planning to increase their real estate portfolio over the next three years, and similarly twenty two percent are planning on their real estate portfolio staying stable. So now numbers are 75%, either standing still or increasing their floor space requirements and they to be driven by some drastic decisions made in 2021, 22. So now that now the um now the world has settled and people can see their new norm. Um, a large degree of that will be high will be hybrid working and flexible working. and um, Occupiers are, are planning for growth again.
2: Thank you. So, yeah, just to add that to that from my perspective, we specialise in more of the SME market um, and we've seen really interesting trends, actually, I, I think, um, certainly to Eamon's point about a sort of level of uncertainty and post-COVID a bit of a snap um, decision towards reducing space, albeit we never actually saw anyone reduce that space because um, there was much more um, confusion around whether to make that decision, how to make that decision. And actually, what we found is by going in and speaking with our with our occupiers, we've managed to look at their space and reconfigure their space with them to help them make the most out of it. And that's definitely a trend that we uh, have seen growing and we expect to grow into 2024, so much so that we've actually launched a managed fit out arm um, to our business now, um, where we're helping our occupiers create efficiencies in the office they already have. So it's sort of a case of, you know, almost a bit like residential when you when you've been existing in a space for such a long time you can't necessarily you don't necessarily have the vision to work out how to use it differently so we're going in there and we're saying look before you make the move because office moves are expensive let us guide you as to whether you can actually make more of the space you have and that's resulted in uh, two of our occupiers staying um, it's resulted in another occupier actually upsizing which they hadn't expected and i i think that will continue next year and beyond Thanks, Helen.
0: In terms of corporates, then, what what do you think corporates are looking for um, at the moment? What's important to them? Have you seen any themes around that?
2: I think we're seeing a bit of a conflict at the moment between quality and price, mm-hmm. if I'm honest. I think that there's a great deal of pressure on management to reduce real estate costs because typically, as we all know, real estate salaries represent two of the highest costs out there. And and Typically in corporates, the people making the real estate decisions don't always have a large amount of real estate background. So it's it's a difficult decision to make and a lot a lot rides on it. So we are seeing the more corporate end asking for the um, I suppose the ESG aspects, the, the certainly the environmental aspects of, of buildings. Um but at the moment we're not seeing that willingness to potentially or that understanding around why that should be paid for necessarily and so it's a bit of a difficult conflict because they want the quality but they're under pressure to reduce costs
0: thank you yeah.
1: i think just just to add to that in a local context we I, I think our feeling is that um less and less is probably seen as an overhead and more as an opportunity to help recruit retain the right people and um, so uh, if I think of a quote that was mentioned to me probably 10 years ago it was if you want to see the office of the future stand in a university today mm-hmm. and that and that rings through um the sort of graduate and um, recruitment and retention you know more and more we hear the discussion particularly with lawyers actually where the um, income and talent want to see the office they're going to work in yes they, they want to understand how the ESG credentials um, and the working environment the well-being environment is actually going to link to their how it's going to benefit them so I think the um yeah, corporates are very aware um, and it's, you know, I think they more and more they see the value in, in what it does at a corporate level and a boardroom level or, or and how real estate plays its part in in, in meeting some of those um, obligations and hurdles.
0: Thank you. So, and that links into the social aspect um, as well, doesn't it? And In terms of um, like a people package, are you seeing anything in terms of landlords and tenants working closer together um, to try and get a better overall package for their occupiers.
2: Yeah, 100% from our side. Um, you know, obviously, as we all know, traditionally with real estate, you would have given somebody a lease and an invoice and then sort of said, you know, see, see you in a few years. And that that's completely not the case anymore. Um, and I see it as a really exciting opportunity for us, actually. We're, we're having such a lot of fun actually with with all our occupiers we're working alongside them as i've already mentioned on the fit outside to maximize efficiency on space we are being asked more and more about amenity and uh not not just by obviously new new sort of uh, prospective inquiries but also existing existing occupiers asking us you know can you, bring, can you bring exercise classes, for example? So we've listened, we're doing Pilates classes. We're currently building a cafe on one of our sites. Um, we're actually reasonably well serviced in this particular location, but um, we had some space. And so we are going for a planning application further down the line on this particular site. But we thought, let's take our lead actually from a lot of these um, sort of social value charities and let's use put a meanwhile use in. So we've got a cafe on wheels which will be there for a year or two. And so it's it's really interesting because we want people to come here. We want people to come to work and we want this yes. to be a fun, exciting, interactive place to be. So it makes complete sense for us to work with those occupiers to help them attract the talent um, and, and their employees back, because undoubtedly it is still really, really difficult. Um, but our hope is that By taking lessons from the hospitality industry, particularly, and other other sort of the flex industry, you know that we can make our spaces whilst they are let in a more traditional sense, they're still exciting, aesthetically pleasing places to be.
0: Thank you. Are you finding anything in relation to fit out and build in terms of anything different around neurodiversity and accessibility? Are there are they factors that you're finding? I'll be honest. We haven't had a
2: huge amount of sort of questioning or or demand in that space, but we have. Mm-hmm. We've actually taken the initiative to work with an interior designer who specialises in designing for neurodiversity, because we could sort of see it coming as a potential, well, not design feature, but I suppose a, a really important element in design. Okay. Uh, we've been working around circadian lighting, and mm-hmm. and how you can adjust your lighting to account for sort of the time of day and particularly people's needs. In the winter versus the summer, it's been really, really interesting. Um, and once we point it out, I think people, yeah, you know, people get quite excited by it because they, they they don't necessarily think that it's possible. And when actually you see the broad range of things you can do in design, it makes fit out much, much more exciting. And I think the obvious one as well is is breakout spaces. Um, we're certainly seeing a push towards having quieter spaces where mm. people can actually sort of get their head down and do some work. And then the more collaborative spaces and then obviously the spaces for people to just go and have their lunch. So we are designing in, I would say, three to four very specific spaces into offices, which before we, you know, you didn't really have that. You just kind of had your kitchen, maybe a sofa and then you had your your co-working Sort of desks all pushed together but now we're having to be much cleverer in the way that we design that space and then that has knock-on impacts to things like acoustic treatment air quality control and the way it flows heating cooling flows through the building so quite a lot of challenges but equally all surmountable and um just you know they make for much more exciting spaces thank you
1: i think just i clearly held that you're ahead of the curve and with the way sort of the landlord mindset and you know, you you've you've tackled the um the relationship head on. You know, no longer is it a landlord tenant relationship, but you endorse but more a you know customer and uh, and, and service provider. And I think that's you know the, the, yourself and those other landlords that are offering that sort of mentality are going to clearly win and come out of this cycle um, ahead of the pack. Um in terms of services, I think the you know the idea of food and beverage, you know, the facilities to support mental health and well-being, gym facilities, end-of-journey facilities is all very well documented. Um, and I think the reality is now we are in a world where, from my perspective, transactions are less price sensitive, but much more amenity and quality sensitive. Mm-hmm. So if you get that amenity and quality piece right, um, that Hans just alluded to, the, the pricing looks after itself.
2: Thank you. It's quite it's quite difficult to get it right as well. We found. I mean, you know, not not everything works everywhere. Um, you know, and I think it's quite easy sometimes to look at the city, the big cities, and to think, well, actually, everybody wants to do a spin class, but actually. No, not everybody wants to get sweaty next to their colleagues or, or, you know, so I I would say the really key thing to anybody looking to kind of start on that journey is, is, you know, data collection and survey, 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 Um, find out what your occupiers really, really want, because you can, you can certainly test the water with different things. But, you know, actually, some of these things, you know, they're expensive to implement, particularly if you don't have a sort of you know, a building with a service charge that can take a proportion of that cost. And certainly we've trialed and made some errors <laughs> along the way in terms of you know making the assumption that well someone will like what I want to do. Um, so survey and data is key. Thank you.
0: In terms of legislation, then we've all seen the um the new legislation around the um, around EPCs and the changes and the impacts that's having What do we think is going to happen in terms of buildings that don't meet the new requirements and how do we think they're going to be paid for? Have you seen anything in terms of evidence of how the market is changing in that sense?
1: I think uh, I can start with that. I think I think the market's already been pricing this in. You know, there's fundamentally flawed buildings in every market now where, you know, buildings that were maybe um, prime in their markets 10 12 years ago would have gas boilers, have gas services the no you know they they the and are no longer meeting the um sort of the epc hurdles that are faster coming at us so there there's a there's a challenge for landlords in terms of how they reposition those buildings and you know very easy to do when you have an empty building more difficult to do when you have a lease structures and therefore getting and um, vacant possession to really reposition a building can be quite hard so you know we are at the cold face on this now and learning quickly and daily as we go how do you, you know, improve the, the, the ESG credentials of a building, and uh, particularly the sustainability point? How do you do that whilst a building is 50% occupied? Mm. Um, and that, that's about you know sort of um, a brother and sister relationship with M and systems, etc. We're doing it. It's an expensive thing to do, but it has to be done. And equally, you know, we, we will see the buildings repositioned and, and do different things going forward. The building we're sitting in today um um as we understand it will become a a private university in due course and there's an application in for a change of use as we speak and and that's a good example of the blurring of lines between businesses and academia you know it does make a lot of sense when you think about things today that businesses are going to be closer to the educational establishments that are educating the the talent pool of the future so i think that that yeah that blurring of the lines will and probably um see some other buildings follow suit as the one we in.
2: Yeah, I think we're definitely, you know, starting in our market in the southeast to see a bit of a two tier market coming through. So, um, you know, you've got you've got your kind of uh, super grade A ESG um, heavy buildings and and sort of everything else. I mean, what I would say is certainly for some time to come, there will always be space for that affordable office space where, you know, a, a business that's sort of beyond startup stage, but not quite, you know, not certainly not corporate, you know, would like to be in a place town like Maidenhead, but they can't afford 40, 50 pounds per square foot. So there's always going to be, I think, demand for some of those buildings which don't have the credentials. So I don't think we're going to see a large amount of distress tomorrow um, on these stranded assets, as, as they're being known. Um, I think there's a huge amount of opportunity, as has already said, for change of use. And we're definitely seeing sort of owner occupiers coming to the fore as well we, we actually sold a building earlier this year which we would have loved to have um, renovated and made completely esg compliant but the fact was it didn't it didn't make sense for us to do so and we put it to the market, and all the interested parties were owner occupiers which i thought was you know it was really interesting and so many businesses we speak to you know wish that they bought their own property five, ten, fifteen, twenty years ago. And actually perhaps now now there's that opportunity and it makes sense for owner occupiers to to put investment into these buildings where it might not make sense for an investment sort of prop co to, to do that.
0: Thanks, Helen. So in terms of EPCs and costs then who's actually paying for these? How what are corporates doing about it?
2: We take the view that um fundamentally we own these buildings. So we we should we sort of in the, in most cases should pay i know that's not a view shared by everybody it's not a popular view in the in the landlord in a vertical community but um i suppose we see it as our duty as sort of custodians of of these buildings so where we've been getting buildings back which have been vacant we've obviously been doing our absolute utmost to improve those buildings so one live example from this year we had a sort of 1980s Building back EPC D, and we have put a new air, uh, new heating and cooling system in. We've improved the building management system, and we are having solar installed early next year. We will rerun the um, EPC thereafter, and we hope to achieve an A, if not a B. To Eamon's point, I think you know there is this challenge with occupiers being in situ, and the regulations coming at us quite quickly. So what? what can you do and how can you do it well the the approach we've taken so far actually is to try and guide our occupiers and help them to work out what changes they can make that they can fund via local grants so i appreciate not every every jurisdiction or or county will be in the same position as us but here in buckinghamshire we've actually been able to make use of a brilliant government fund which has allowed match funding up to sort of £6,500 for changes to sort of LED lights, to heating and cooling systems, to insulation, anything that improves the operational efficiency of a building. Now, of course, a tenant or an occupier will benefit from that occupational efficiency for the duration of the time they're there. So I think it's that's been quite an easy sell. And the way that we sort of ran that process was to provide our occupiers with a sort of seminar on on the on the process and then i sort of helped them fill out the paperwork work out what was the best thing to do in in the office and they achieved those grants ranging from sort of 3000 to 6000 pounds now that's that's been really great because i think it's it's done a few things it's brought awareness of um the environmental issues to these occupier businesses in a way which they're sort of generally aware of them, but they don't really understand you know necessarily understand the specifics of what they should be doing. So we've enabled them to reduce their running costs, and we've also you know enabled us to improve our improve our spaces um without us actually putting out any upfront cost. So that's been really helpful for us.
1: so certainly, one thing we we've locked out of there, Frank, is capital flows into um into green assets. Um, and as a rule of thumb, we're seeing somewhere between eighty eighteen percent. And premium on green assets where EPCs are strong or Neighbours is referenced or, or BREM is referenced. Um, but I would say, again, in a local context, only in the last three months have I seen ESG, or sorry, the, sort of ESG hurdles and criteria really bite. So by that, I mean, we now have occupiers, named occupiers in our market who are specifically saying they will not consider at all a building that is not an A or B EPC. Um, and in a few examples, they will consider a C, so long as it's a very clear pathway uh, um, to an AB. Okay.
0: Um,
1: so that is now a real thing. And I think ultimately, um, you know, landlords will contribute pay, but also those that do will have success because you know the, the market is getting thinner and more specific in the types of buildings that um, certain occupiers can go to. So the landlords have those asset classes sitting on the shelf they will get a sales premium, but also they'll get a rental premium, and and void should be should be smaller.
0: Thank you. <laughs> so, in terms of um, our final thoughts and the takeaway points, then, um, Aiman and Helen, what would you like to add?
1: So, I think the the first of all, the debate the debate has went full circle. Um, you know, the, there is a future for offices. They play a big part, um, in in the corporate um, and, and general occupier agenda. Um, you know, are we going back to pre-pandemic ways of working? No, never. Um, are we going to a more hybrid, flexible approach? Yes. Um, and I think e- you know equally, we probably went too far in one direction, which was a, a lot of comfort um, and desire to work from home. But businesses lost traction, they lost clients, they lost collaboration. Um, they weren't bringing on their younger generation of recruits um, mm-hmm. and and training them and. and um, them absorbing for more senior members of the team in the same way they had been so i think that debates went full circle and we've seen hsbc for example um offer a three-line whip over the last couple of weeks of so their eighteen thousand employees across the uk would be coming back to work three days a week and um, uk government and whitehall have issued a, a very similar memorandum so so i think that debate is now one offices have a future um but the the flight quality, which is a very overused term is a real thing and um, people would buy they, people would pay for quality, um, but they won't compromise on quality. So I think landlords that can deliver quality um, on an ESG compliant building will succeed and win in the next cycle. And um, yeah, that's so, yeah. that. Thank you, Amos. Helen,
0: final thoughts?
2: Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, the most exciting thing about this is collaboration. Um, you know, we're moving into a different phase in the real estate industry altogether, a phase never, ever seen before and it's you know it's difficult and it's uncomfortable because it's not the norm but it's really really exciting and I'm now in a place, you know, with with COVID kind of well and truly behind us, where I can definitely see a future for for businesses like mine, as long as you know we're just out there, we're listening to our occupiers, and as as I've alluded to, we're sort of you know taking lessons from other industries like hospitality, and we're behaving a little bit differently, and we're being a bit more nimble, and um, a bit quicker off the mark to actually make those investment decisions and you know not everything comes back to a spreadsheet uh, to be quite honest you know you can't necessarily point to to a number in a spreadsheet and say well i know that if i invest in you know a cafe on my site i don't necessarily know that that's actually going to bring me you know x pounds in revenue but what i do know is it will buy me a lot of goodwill um it will give us a point of difference and it may well lead to you know, a letting of a space that wouldn't otherwise have let because we didn't have that amenity. So I think you've got to take a big leap of faith and almost go back and sort of do a lot of learning um, and just try and get ahead of the curve and work out exactly what people want, listen to your occupiers and just have fun with it. And I think, you know, we As I alluded to, you know, it's been quite a difficult few years, but for those who can see a positive future ahead for the offices as a place for people to be, to come, to collaborate and to feel good about being in that space, then why wouldn't you want to be a part of that? And just touching on the environmental piece, you know, we all know how much buildings contribute to the carbon emissions in in the UK and across the world. And so we have a huge opportunity to actually really do a lot of public good as an industry a lot of good, which actually we could really do with from a PR perspective as well, that we have a huge opportunity to um, be a positive contributor to the environment and to society. And I think the real estate industry needs to absolutely grasp that with both hands, um, because it's just a really exciting time to be in the industry.
0: Thank you, Helen. And thank you, Eamon. I think my key takeaway from today is that property is being seen as less of an overhead and more of an asset with social diversity and academic importance. And that's it for today. So thank you for listening to the Irwin Mitchell podcast. If you found it interesting, then please do join us again for our next episode. And thank you to Helen and Eamon for taking part.
2: Thank you. Thank you. you.